You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. But that doesn't change his faithfulness. He will always be faithful. Because that's what the scripture says. He is faithful even when we are faithless. He remains faithful. He will always be faithful. He cannot deny himself. You can deny him. But he is always faithful. I love this. When you look at this, all the faithlessness of a man can never disprove the faithfulness of God. I love that. Even if you turn away, he is ever faithful ever faithful. God will always be faithful, even when you are faithless. As you listen to Pastor Dave today, remember that God is always there. Even when you feel like you have hit rock bottom and have no more to give, He is faithful. You can deny Christ all you want and turn away, but He will forever be there for you always. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 Kings chapter 8 with today's edition of A Sure Hope. as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So the purpose of gathering together and assembling ourselves together is for mutual encouragement and strengthening. How are we strengthened? By the word of God. We are strengthened by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So we are strengthened by the word of God. We're strengthened by exhorting each other, lifting each other up through prayer through fellowship. That's what's so important here. Forsaking fellowship is a sure way to give place for discouragement. If you're discouragement and you're forsaking fellowship, I can guarantee you're getting more and more discouraged. I can guarantee that you're getting more and more miserable because you've forsaken fellowship. Come here to be encouraged. Come here to be lifted up. Come here to learn about Christ. Come here to get close with your fellow brothers and sisters as they get close to the Lord. But unfortunately, and this has been said a million times by by all three of us, Bill, Mark, and me, when you don't feel well, when you had a bad day, when things aren't going well, the first thing you want to do is cut out church. The very first thing you want to do, well, you think Satan doesn't know what you need most? So all of a sudden, I don't want to go to church because I've had a bad day. But if you push through and you come, It's amazing what can happen. The encouragement, the love, the hope that will dwell in you. It's amazing. When we exhort one another, when we learn of God's word, it's so important to gather the brethren. So many people just go to church when they feel like it or when they feel the need for it. But our motivation for fellowship must be to obey God through his word. God tells us not to forsake the gathering, not to forsake the assembly. And this is what we're doing here. This is the assembly. We can go to church looking to encourage someone who needs to be encouraged. And that's what we should always be doing. Looking for that person who has that down face, who's kind of discouraged so that we can come alongside them and encourage them in the Lord. Pray for them. Help them out. You're the presence of God. You have the Holy Spirit in you. 
This is what the church is all about. This is what it looks like. And I think it's very, very important. Yes, at this time, God is going to dwell in the, on that ark. He's going to dwell right there. And we read it where he comes, the big cloud comes down. We'll, we'll read it again here in a minute. God is going to dwell. But in the new covenant, the Holy Spirit is in you. God in you. You have that Holy Spirit. So they're bringing up to Jerusalem the Ark of the Covenant, and it becomes the first part of the dedication of the temple. The temple was not ready to operate until the Ark got there. Until the Ark, the Ark was so important. It's so important. They take the Ark and they set it where it belongs, in the most holy place. They set it there. It's interesting that if you look at verse 3, Solomon avoids the problem that David did. Remember in chapter 6 of 2 Samuel, David decided he was going to bring the ark back. He was going to bring the ark back, remember? And they built a new cart and got it all ready. And he took it down there and they got the ark and they put it on the ark and they were bringing it back. And the ark started to slip and one of his guys went to study the ark and he was killed instantly because he touched the ark of the covenant. He was doing it the wrong way. The ark was never supposed to be on a cart. There were poles made that slid through the ark that the priest would carry the ark. It took a long time for David to remember that. And he finally remembered that and went back and got the ark. He brought it up and he placed it where it belonged in the city of David in a tabernacle that he built. He built a tabernacle especially for the ark and he put it there. You can read about that in 2 Samuel 6. So they got that there. All right. Verse 4. We read, they brought the ark up of the Lord, the tabernacle of meeting, and all the holy furnishings that were in the tabernacle. The priests and the Levites brought them up. They get all these things up there, all the furnishings of the tabernacle. The priests now they make a way back to Jerusalem, carrying the ark upon the poles. It's not that far from the city of David to Jerusalem. So they were bringing the ark back. They had it on poles like they were supposed to. And what do they do? They move it to the Temple Mount, which is on Mount Moriah. It's on Mount Moriah. It's there to this day. I've told you time and time again. It's there to this day. So in verse 5, also King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who were assembled with them were with him before the ark, sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be counted or numbered for the multitude. They were having this huge feast. It's kind of like when they move the last time, you know, they take two steps and they slaughter an animal and sacrifice, take a couple more steps and slaughter an animal and sacrifice. This must have been one whale of a barbecue. Woo! Must have been great. They must have had a great time. It must have been a lot of fun, you know. They were having a great time bringing this ark up. It was a very, very festive time. They all went before him. They all went before the ark. They all went before him. The ark meant so much to these people. It was a great celebration. Let's look at verses 6 through 8. Then the priest brought the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place, into the inner sanctuary of the temple, into the most holy place, under the wings of the cherubim. For the cherubim spread their two wings over the place of the ark, and the cherubim overshadowed the ark and its poles. The poles extended so that the ends of the poles could not be seen from the holy place in front of the inner sanctuary, but they could not be seen from the outside, and they were there to this day. So the ark is put into the temple. It's put into the most holy place. Remember, the temple had a huge court 
and then there was a holy place, and then there was a most holy place. We studied the particulars when we looked at how the temple was built, the parameter. This one little room, this one little room that only the priest could go into, the high priest could go into, and he could only go in there once a year. And he couldn't go in without blood. He first had to make sacrifice for himself, to be clean for himself, and then he could go in. This was such an interesting place. I know you heard the stories. At the bottom of the robe, they had bells on them, little chimes. If they heard them not moving, they think the priest did something wrong and was struck dead. In order to get him out, nobody could go in. In order to get him out, they tied a rope around his leg. So if he went in and did something wrong and the Lord struck him dead, they could pull him out without going into the Holy of Holies. This was a very, very sacred place. It was the most sacred place in all of Israel. The most sacred place because it's a place where God was. It's interesting, though, that the cherubim, we read, look out towards the holy place. The cherubim look out towards the holy place. But the original mercy seat, where did the cherubim look? Who knows? Where's my scholars? Yeah, they looked at each other. They were on top of the ark and they looked at each other. Their wings went out like this. One coming each way. They looked at each other. But here they were looking out. I like what one commentator said. The angels of God not only look into the mystery of God's grace, they also behold the mystery of God's people and learn about God's grace. I, I like that. I, I wrote that up. So. Something interesting, though, about the Ark of the Covenant that we read in the next verse. It's very, very interesting. Look at verse 9. Nothing was in the Ark except the two tablets of stone which Moses put there at Horeb when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. Only thing that was in the ark was two stone tablets that had the Ten Commandments on it. Why was this interesting? What would this be? Oh, come on. <laughs> right, we're, they're missing two objects. Two objects are missing from the ark. Back in Exodus 16.33 and in Numbers 17, we're told that not only did they put the two tablets of the Ten Commandments in there, but they put a jar of manna, remember the angel food that fell from heaven, and they put in Aaron's rod that budded. That was all in there. This clearly says nothing was in the ark except the two tablets of stone. That's it. We might as well go home. There's a, there's a con contradiction. The Bible's wrong. Oh, my gosh. No. No. What happened? Where are they? Well, you know what? Nobody really knows where they are. Nobody really knows where these two things are or why they were taken out of the ark. Were they taken out of the ark when the Philistines had it? Remember all that time that the Philistines had the ark? They could have robbed it. I don't know. They could have taken it out. We're not sure. I love what John Corson said about this. One of the commentators I love to read is John Corson. I really like what he said about this. I'm going to read it to you. Quote, I believe that the Holy Spirit included this information to help us to come to a very important understanding. That is, signs and wonders like the budding rods and manna, as wonderful as they are, are not lasting. What is lasting, what endures, what is absolutely essential? The word of God. 
I like that. I like that. So the only thing left in that ark was the word of God. God's word written on those stones. And he continues. I love this. I'm going to continue this. He said, according to Jesus, the greatest prophet who ever lived was neither Elijah nor Moses, although they did mighty miracles. We're going to read all the miracles that Elijah does when we continue on in 1 Kings. We know the miracles that Moses performed in Egypt. But he says the greatest prophet who ever lived did no miracles whatsoever. Who was that? John the Baptist. John the Baptist. All he ever did was point to Jesus and say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He must increase and I must decrease. The greatest prophet in the world was simply a man who pointed to Jesus. And then he concludes, quote, you may not be one who performs miracles or signs or wonders, but like John the Baptist, you can tell people about Jesus, unquote. I like that. No longer were signs and wonders necessary. So the ark is brought out of Jerusalem. It's set in its proper place in the Holy of Holies, where the one true living God who cannot lie, who is always faithful, comes and dwells in the temple. And at the end of verse 9, we read something interesting. It says, when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. The Lord's covenant were the Ten Commandments. It was the covenant that he, the Lord made with them at the mountain. And it's interesting that this is brought up now. What I glean from this is that the Lord is always reminding Israel of his faithfulness to them. He is always reminding Israel of how faithful he has been over all these years to the nation Israel. And I think we can get something from this. At least I did. I got something really neat from this. Guys were, the leaders were studying Timothy. And in, in 2 Timothy verse 13, Paul writes this, talking about God. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. And I love that. Paul writes that God is ever faithful, even when we are faithless. And when I read that again, for the, I don't know how many times I've read it, I got a picture of a faithful father standing on a porch looking for a son that had run away. I got a picture of God the Father as the Father looking for his prodigal son who left him, who was faithful to believe that his son would return. And even though his son turned his back on him, he was always faithful. You can deny God all you want, but that doesn't change his faithfulness. He will always be faithful because that's what the scripture says. He is faithful even when we are faithless. He remains faithful. He will always be faithful. He cannot deny himself. You can deny him, but he is always faithful. I love this. When you look at this, all the faithlessness of a man can never disprove the faithfulness of God. I love that. Even if you turn away, he is ever faithful. Ever faithful. So as we finish up, it says, And it came to pass, when the priest came out of the holy place, 
After they had set the ark in place, the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Then Solomon spoke. The Lord said he would dwell in the dark cloud. I have surely built you an exalted house, speaking to the Lord, a place for you to dwell in forever. The glory of God had come back to Israel. The glory of God had returned to the most holy place. The glory of God sitting there, the cloud. It's called the Shekinah glory of God. God's Shekinah glory shining. It's hard to define the glory of God. You might call it a radiant outpouring, an outshining of his character and present. But it was manifested as a cloud. It was manifested as a cloud throughout Scripture. When Israel left Egypt. They followed the cloud, the glory of God. They followed the Shekinah glory of God. When the cloud moved during the day, they moved. They followed the cloud. It was God's glory in the wilderness, and they followed it. When it stopped, they stopped and pitched their tent. Now think about it. The glory of God. They were in a desert place, and believe me, we were in Israel in October, and we were in south, the southern part of Israel, and it was blazing hot, blazing hot. We weren't even in the wilderness area. It was hot. It was 95 every day. I can imagine these, the cloud kept them cool. God's glory was right there, kept them cool. You can read about that in Exodus 13. It was the cloud of glory where God spoke to Israel. He spoke out of the cloud. You can read about that in Exodus 16. It was the cloud that Moses met when they were coming out. You can read about that in Exodus 19 and Numbers 11. It was the cloud that stood at the tabernacle door, Exodus 33. It was a cloud that appeared to the holy, in the holy place when the priest went in, inside the veil in Leviticus 16. This cloud has been with them. It was always with them. It was God's glory with them. It was the cloud of Ezekiel's vision filling the temple with the brightness of his glory. You can read about that in Ezekiel 10. In Luke 1, it talks about a cloud that overshadowed Mary when she conceived Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. There was a cloud present at the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus was transfigured. It was that cloud. And out of that cloud, he spoke, this is my beloved son. In Acts 1, chapter 9, a cloud came and received Jesus. Up into heaven, the cloud, the Shekinah glory of God came. Where will we meet Jesus in the rapture? The cloud. God will return once again in a cloud. And then when Jesus finally returns to earth, he will come in a cloud. Read about it in Revelations 1. There are those who make a parallel to this event using Acts 2, 1 through 4, when God basically makes the, the makings of the church as the temple of God when the Holy Spirit comes upon those believers. And they make a connection here. The presence known of the sound of the mighty rushing wind, the filling of those present with the Holy Spirit. God in us, that hope of glory. We're no longer looking for a cloud until we hear that trumpet, then we're going to look up. But we're looking for a hope in Christ Jesus. 
And he dwells in us. He lives in us. And he's right there. Anytime you might need him. Anytime you might want to talk to him, he's right there in you. And I always say, Lord, when I accepted you and you came into me and you indwelt me, you got a raw deal. But praise God you did it. (laughs) Thank you, Lord, for doing that. Thank you, Lord, for coming into me. Christ is in us and he is our hope of glory. He is our only hope of glory. The glory in us is Jesus Christ. And that's what we can learn from this. And that's what we can learn. They put the ark into the place where it's supposed to be. And in front of it was this huge curtain. This huge, very, very thick curtain. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross that day, it says the curtain was rent. It means it was torn. And it was torn from top to bottom. And remember we studied how tall that building was. It's almost impossible for someone to get up there and rip that. It was torn from top to bottom. What did that signify? Remember, up until that point, the only people who could enter into the holiest place, the most holy place, we call it the Holy of Holies, was the priest, the high priest, once a year. What did the curtain ripping signify for us? Access. Access to the Father 24-7. Mark said it when he was worshiping. Access to the Father 24-7. In fact, the writer of Hebrews tells us to boldly go into the throne room of grace. We have access now through Jesus Christ, through his blood, we have access to the Father. By the Holy Spirit living in us, we have access to the Father. God in you, Christ is in you, and the glory of God now lives in you. Wrap your little head around that. The glory of God lives in you, and you take him everywhere you go. And some of you are probably going, "Uh uh-oh. You take the glory of God everywhere you go. Because he's in you. According to what we read in scriptures. Christ in you, the hope of glory. For we are the temple of God. We are the temple of the Lord. And that's how we can relate it to the New Testament. That's how we can relate it to our lives now. The chapter has about 8,000 verses in it. And I couldn't get any further than those 13. I apologize. But it's going to be a beautiful time as Solomon continues to dedicate the temple to the Lord. And God is going to speak once again to Solomon. Remember what we said last week. If you weren't here, I'll repeat it. Solomon is at the pinnacle of his relationship with the Lord. He is at the highest point right now with his relationship with the Lord. He's going to hear from the Lord another time. And remember, we're in chapter 8, in the middle of chapter 8. When we get to chapter 11, things go south. Where his relationship with the Lord becomes tarnished and becomes broken. And he has to pay dearly for that. What do we learn from that? Don't go that way. Don't let that happen. We know nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. So we need to cling to our Lord, cling to Jesus, continually cling to Him.
You've been learning from the book of 1 Kings with Pastor Dave Shank on A Sure Hope. Have you ever found yourself in a place like King Solomon where the temptations of the world really had a grip on you? With all the gimmicks of the world, it's not surprising. It's also not surprising that you're not the only one. Many struggle with the temptation of letting worldly things lead them rather than let the things of the Lord lead. But there is hope. Just as Solomon came to recognize that all his women, wealth, and wisdom wasn't what really mattered, you too can learn that things of the world are deceiving. So rather than put your hope and faith in the things that pass away, put your hope and faith in the one who's everlasting. God is constant, he is faithful, and he will never pass away. If you missed any part of today's teachings or you'd like to listen to additional messages from Pastor Dave, visit AssureHopeRadio.com. Perhaps as you are listening, you realize that you have some questions about faith and maybe even about salvation. We'd be happy to talk with you and provide some resources to answer your questions. Give us a call at 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. You can also click on the Jesus tab at AssureHopeRadio.com. This will provide you with a succinct picture of who Jesus is and how he can change your life. Thank you again for taking the time to learn about God's word today. We hope you'll join us again next time on A Sure Hope.